0: We convince ourselves that if we live for our own comfort and for ourselves that we're going to find it, but in reality, that's not the way that humanity is designed. When we actually live for the good of others, that's when we begin to thrive.
1: Welcome to Let's Give a Damn. I'm Nick LaPara, and this is my chance to talk with people who saw something wrong that needed to be made right, and they gave a damn about it. From a rough upbringing, to eventually becoming a pastor, to leaving all of that to fly fish for a living, Bucky Buckstaber's story is amazing and inspiring. I can't wait for you to hear more about how Bucky is using fly fishing to help free people from human slavery. Let's get right into it. Welcome to the podcast, Bucky. Thank you, Nick. Thanks so much for joining me today, man. I'm incredibly excited to have you here. I've admired what you're doing for the last couple of years and I'm very excited to introduce you and what you're doing to the Let's Give a Damn Family.
0: Uh, I'm glad to be on this podcast.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, let's let's jump right into the interview. Let's not waste any time here. I'm excited to expose what you're doing and hear your story. So let's let's start from the beginning. Can you tell me your story? Tell me about your family. Struggles, wins, and anything else that will help us get a feel for your upbringing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think my early kind of childhood development was was a little rough. Uh, my parents were products of the '60s, um, and there's great products from the '60s, and then there's not so great products from the '60s. Right. Unfortunately, they were the not so great products of the '60s. Um, so first five years of my life, we lived in a log cabin out in the woods in Lake Tahoe. And I have uh, an older brother and a younger brother and my dad, um, he never grew up. And so there was a lot of abuse in the home and a lot of anger and a lot of, um, drug abuse, physical abuse, all sorts of gnarly, gnarliness went on in my home, um, to the point where my mom for her own safety and our own safety, um, as kids had to leave my dad and, and take us boys to the only place that she knew how to go for safety. And that was my grandparents' house. And so we, uh, lived with my grandparents for about five years. And then my dad was out of the picture after that. He never, um, he never engaged in a relationship with us. So so there's, you know, there's major um, loss growing up as far as just gaps sure. of what a childhood needs, what a young boy needs growing up, having a, you know, a male role model and all that. So you know, there's a pretty significant amount of brokenness and insecurity growing up because any children that are abandoned somehow always manage to internalize that as to something that's wrong with them. Oh, my dad didn't want me because clearly I'm not good enough to be wanted. Mm. So growing up, I had to struggle through all of those insecurities. And my brothers and I learned how to mask those really well. My older brother masked his insecurities with anger. If, mm. and you know he, he didn't feel good about who he was. And so he would have to feel better about who he was by being the tough guy in school. Right. And then I masked all my insecurities um, by being the clown. I didn't care. I could do anything that anybody ever dared me to do, and I would do whatever I needed to do just to get a laugh. Um, and my little brother and, you know, masked all of his through um, really just the passion and success in sports. And so we all kind of, you know, none of us knew that we were growing up with all these insecurities and trying to mask them in different ways, try to right. just so that we can have some sort of sense of self-worth. But deep inside all of us, self-worth was
1: broken. Wow!
0: Yeah, so that's I mean, yeah. so that's kind of like the raw material of how I started.
1: Two questions. Sorry yeah. to interrupt. So back at the beginning, you said you grew up in a log cabin. Did you guys have like electricity, or was it like rural? Oh, uh,
0: dude! Well, it was it was there was electricity, but it okay. was pretty rural, man. Pretty primitive. Pretty, yeah, it was it was pretty primitive. Um, my dad cut firewood for a living, and most of that went to supporting his habits. Oh, man. Um, and so my little brother was actually pretty malnourished. He had severe asthma and that's when my mom just had to flee. She's like, okay, this
1: is Ooh, that's tough. Yeah. Yeah. Second one, you said you were, uh, you were funny. You do anything to get a laugh. Now, were you, I asked this question because it's a little, it's a little personal Were you actually funny or were you, or did you, were you not that funny, but you did funny things. I ask that because I, yeah. I always think I say and do funny things and people sometimes laugh. My wife kindly <laughs> reminds me always, you're not funny. Like you do funny things that make people laugh, but it's mostly out of awkwardness.
0: Yeah, for me, it was more attention getting. So I would be, um, I was, I, I don't know how, like, I wasn't like up comedy funny. I was, dude, that guy will do anything and everything, and he just doesn't care. So I was the kid that, so I, you know, growing up, my teenage years, I um, had all sorts of, I guess, experiences with drugs and alcohol. Hmm. But I was the one that would take it 10 steps further just because it would get people's attention. Sure. So we we're smoking weed in high school. Well, I'm the guy that will dare to smoke weed in my English class with the teacher in the room um wow. that kind of stuff yeah
1: <laughs> got it okay continue attention sorry for interrupting get there. that was attention getter <laughs> got it yeah so that's that you you've told us your story up through you know you're you're out of the house now your mom has you know fled with you guys at what age are are you at right now
0: so yeah from about you know i lived with my grandparents from uh from about six to 11 years old okay and th- so now I've got this major compare contrast. This was the best thing that ever happened to me because I get taken out of an environment that is um, really depriving us from what we need as kids and put in an environment where my grandparents were stable and loving. Mm. My grandma tucked me in at bed every single night. I had three meals a day. Huge I- shift. Oh my gosh, was it a huge shift? Pretty awesome. Mm,
1: that's yeah. Awesome.
0: So that gave me a taste. Of what
1: life can actually be like, which Amazing. was incredible. Yeah, 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 definitely. totally. So, um, what happened after eleven? Did you guys were you not stable enough to? Yeah, be so your it took own? my
0: mom about five or six years to get back on her feet, and so uh, she finally got. Uh, she had she had lots of recovery to do herself, and my grandparents were really loving and gracious and patient with her, and and helped her in, in really amazing ways and she got back on her feet and for the first time when I was 11 years old my older brother who's two years older than me was 13 and my younger brother um, was about eight and uh, we got we finally got a house on our own mm. and um, but again you know growing up single parent kids no dad no role model my grandparents as awesome as they were my grandpa was a pastor Um, and traveled internationally a ton, and so he wasn't there very much. They were super buried in their church, so it was an incredible influence, and it shaped my life in ways that I will never, ever, ever forget that I'll always be thankful for, but there were still some major holes um, in what I needed as a kid, so we just became rebellious. Sure. As soon as we were out on our own, my mom, the unfortunate part for us was that we had very little supervision, because my mom had to work constantly to survive and you know put food on the table, and very little discipline, because I think she carried a lot of guilt um, for us not having a dad, mm. and so she didn't discipline us very well, and we had no boundaries and so you put three kids with major insecurities in an environment where they 've got no supervision and no boundaries and no discipline, you got nothing but trouble.
1: right. <laughs> And that's how it was for us all growing up. Mm. Yeah. Okay. That's very interesting. Um, so have you always, you live in Portland right now, correct? I live correct? in Portland, yep. Is that always been the case or?
0: No. So this, uh, when we moved in with my grandparents, they lived in the Bay Area in Palo Alto, okay. California. And, um, and then when my mom got on her feet and we lived on our own with her, we moved to Medford, Oregon, Southern Oregon, and that's that's where I've spent that's where I spent most of my uh, early adulthood was in Southern Oregon and Medford, from middle school to high school, on into my early adulthood until about ten years ago when I moved to Portland.
1: Got it. Yep. And so now, so ten years ago, Portland, you have a wife, kids, family. How, do, yep. how does that look right now?
0: Yeah. Oh, it looks phenomenal. Um, Great. I never thought that I would be where I'm at right now. So I've got a wife of 17 years and mm. I've got four beautiful children that are one daughter who's 15 and three boys that are 13, 7, and 5.
1: Amazing. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for thanks for sharing that. I, I asked about the story and we've spent <clears throat> just under 10 minutes on that yeah. because I believe it's very important to hear some of that because that has directly impacted who you are today and why you've taken on some of the challenges, right? So, absolutely. Um, the next question was there were there specific moments or circumstances in your life that caused you to begin giving a damn about uh, other people, people outside your your sphere where you lived, or or was it more of a series of moments and circumstances?
0: Um, yeah, that's a great question, and I think for me, um, I think it was a growing realization me that helped me to learn how to give a damn for other people. And I think, I think there was uh, some inhibiting factors for me that kept me from really caring and giving a damn mm-hmm. about others, and I think both of those factors that inhibited me from caring for others, the way that I believe we should and what makes us thrive, is I think that both of them are related to some sort of fear. And here's what I mean mm-hmm. by that. Um, I wouldn't care for the needs of others because unfortunately i was afraid of what it would demand of me wow and that's the result of living in a hyper consumeristic society and culture sure. seriously like if, if i'm going to ignore and we tend to run from the things that we're afraid of don't we 100% and so, yeah and so for me i was afraid of actually engaging in the needs of other people not because i was afraid of any kind of damage i would do to them i was afraid that It would demand too much of me, and then I would lose some of my comfort.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, our whole society is built up around that, right? Like, build build your little kingdom up, budget everything out perfectly, and we we don't want to head in the direction of giving ourselves to others because it means uh, vulnerability. It means uncertainty about what's next because we're not predictable, right? Circumstances and the shitty things that happen in this life are not. Predictable, or they don't always look how they should, or how we want them, and so totally, I think you're hitting it 100. Yeah,
0: absolutely, and so learning how to overcome that fear—that I'm actually, because here's here's the deception behind that—is we f- convince ourselves that if we live for our own comfort and for ourselves, that we're going to find it. But in reality, that's not the way that humanity is designed. Hmm. When we actually live for the good of others, that's when we begin to thrive. But For some reason, but our culture doesn't send that message. I think the American consumeristic culture doesn't. I think there's things in our culture that does. But we are inherently selfish beings. And so overcoming that selfishness, um, I think, is when we truly find out who we're supposed to be and how we thrive. So it was that realization that kind of helped me to give a damn. And another growing realization that I've had over the last handful of years is that I actually um, can help others. Because another thing that I was afraid of, and this results, this is kind of stemming from my early childhood, is I was afraid of that I didn't really have what it takes to be able to make a difference in the lives of others. Mm. I'm not capable of giving them what they need. And so, again, a fear of not being able to help would cause me to run away. Sure. Or ignore the needs around me. And so with the realization that, man, I am not supposed to just live for myself, but there's a greater story that I need to be a part of. And part of that greater story that I get to be a part of is not just about my life, but it's about how my life is to benefit other people around me. And then the second thing is that I actually, I actually have something to offer in this world.
1: That, those two concepts change my life. It's amazing, man. That's a gold mine right there. Thanks yeah. for thanks for sharing that. I'm sure the the listeners will really enjoy that and that will challenge them. Okay, so that's a great segue into the next question. Let's talk about a specific area in your life where you've stepped out of your comfort zone and given a damn. Let's talk about uh, the reason why I asked you on the show today, the fly fishing collaborative. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. Um yeah, and we haven't even gotten into what I do now and and uh, just the whole organization that I started called the Fly Fishing Collaborative, but I think uh, specific moments when I started giving a damn, uh, my mind goes straight back to several years ago. Um, so I used to be a pastor. In fact, I was a I was a pastor, which which is really funny having the upbringing mm. that I had. Right, um, and then moving into my early twenties, um, just kind of a, a, a total. Switch of gears for me, which that's another piece of my childhood that we probably don't have time to go into, but yeah, um, but I was heading on a path of total dest- self destruction.
1: Sure, um, being sure. the
0: kid that would do anything and everything for attention, um, I was not going in a good direction whatsoever. And then there was a moment when I was 21 years old. I'd already, I'd already dropped out of high school at 16. Mm-hmm. I'd already been in jail for most of my 18 and 19th year um as a teenager and and then at 21 years old god captured my heart mm. um, incredible story which um anyways because that, that plays a factor in sure totally you know really my 20 years of of vocation as a pastor um, and then quitting that because I actually gave a damn more about the people that I could reach outside the walls of the church than inside the walls of the church. The abused, right. the poor, and then just being who I am and cultivating those passions for the good of others. So lots, there's lots to weave together here. But when I was, uh, when I was a pastor, I started um, these camps. I started directing these camps for abused and neglected kids in the foster care system. Wow, and uh, and we would take these kids for a week. These kids that were maybe in between homes, or these kids where the the um, caseworkers just no, they just need they needed a break, or the foster parents needed a break, or these kids just needed some kind of positive affirmation in their life. And so we would take them for an entire week, and I couldn't believe the stories behind all of these kids that live in my own backyard. Wow. Heart-wrenching stories. Um, You know, just stories of these kids being treated like animals or ashtrays. And so that really opened up my eyes to so many more of the needs around me. And also, it gave me a lot of, like being able to run those camps, Um, it gave me a lot of compassion for for the abused and the neglected, especially the abused and the neglected kids. And then it gave me a lot of awareness of how much um, abuse and how much neglect and how much mistreatment happens um, in the lives of young children around the world. So mm-hmm. that that's my specific moment when I started
1: directing these camps. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. And so that, how did that lead into... What is now the Fly Fishing Collaborative? So what? So how that feeds into the Fly Fishing Collaborative
0: is this. And so several years ago, so we've had this the organization for three years now, and so it was probably about four or five years ago. I'm just, you know, really developing this realization that we're supposed to live for the good of others. That life's not about just kind of being fed this whole kind of consumeristic culture that um, that I see all around us, but that when I actually exist for the good of others, I'm going to thrive more. And I also wanted to make not just this one portion of my life meaningful, which for me was like church on Sunday mornings or whatever, but I wanted to make all of my life meaningful. So how do I make all of my life meaningful? My hobbies, my family, my friends, how do I make all of that spiritual, not just the stuff on Sunday mornings called church? And so... I started to wrestle with this quite a bit. What like I think I think there is a time, in fact, most countries still live like this, where spirituality is weaved in the fabric of all of daily life, not just this little sacred space called the church. So how do I live that way? How do I make everything spiritual? And how do I apply everything in my life for the good of others? And so Hmm. that's the concept that I applied to fly fishing. And it's so funny because it's just fly fishing just fly fishing. It's something that I've always done for myself. It's been my therapy. It's been my respite. It's been a place that I enjoy wholeheartedly. It's who I am. The rivers were an escape for me as a child. And fly fishing has always been my therapy. And so now, Mm -hmm. as I've matured as an adult, I'm thinking, how do I use this passion I have for fly fishing, not just for myself, but for the good of others? And so I just started to kind of wrestle with that a little bit.
1: That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. So then, so now, so now the now the rivers aren't an escape; they're actually the destination. They're they're where you take people to to give them hope. I I I don't that just stuck out that stuck out to me as you said. They used to be, you know, that's where I went to escape from the rest of life. Right. And now you get to do it for a living, right? And now
0: I get to do it for a living. And you know, there was a time when I needed that escape. And there was a time where the rivers needed to be my therapy, and there was a time where it needed to be for me. But I think as I've been able to grow and mature and develop in in certain ways, now it's time for me to use the river and my passion for the river for not just myself, but for the good of others. I think that's a process that we should all go through.
1: That's great. That's great. So tell me what what it looks like. Uh, I mean, do you guys just go fish and that's the end of it? Or what does... Why does Fly Fishing Collaborative exist and what happens and what's the goal and the vision?
0: Yeah, so here's what happened. This is where it all came together for me. So I'm thinking, all right, man, I'm going to just, you know what I'm going to do? And it started just by, rather than being challenged or irritated when I run into other people on the river, because fly fishermen and most fishermen can probably understand this, that the river, you love the solitude, you love the time away and it's and you don't want other people to be in your section of the river just because they're going to take the fish that you want to catch. <laughs> so, so I started to approach the rivers with a whole different mindset. Who am I going to run into today and then how can I make their life better? And so I just wow. started inviting people into my, you know, section of river and talking to them and finding out who they are. I started to make so many friends on the river and then I would end up having these parties and all of these friends of mine that were on the river would come to my house and I'd learn who their families were and they learned who my family was and it was incredible but I still wanted more I wanted to make fly fishing something that we actually made a big difference in the world and so my wife knew this and we're wrestling with this like what else can we do through fly fishing how can we make an impact and some friends of ours, one of my fishing buddies, he had learned how to build what's called aquaponics farms. Aquaponics mm-hmm. farms are tilapia farms, and they're, they're self-contained little ecosystems. They're, they're tilapia farms that have grow beds attached to them. They recycle all the same water. The fish, So the water from the fish tank that's filled with all the nutrients from the waste from the fish feeds into the grow beds, and the, grants, the plants grow like crazy. And so they had learned wow. how to build these farms for orphanages um, to help them become more sustainable. And so as my wife and I are sitting at a conference of this high-powered attorney named Bob Goff, and we're just totally inspired by what he's doing as an attorney because he takes his skills as, a, as, as a, an attorney, and he fights injustices around the world. Um, wow. through legal action and so we thought well okay this is the stuff that we're about we want to do rad stuff with what we're good at I'm, sure. I'm I'm good at fly fishing so what's rad that I can do with fly fishing and my wife turned to me and she said tilapia farms why don't we build tilapia farms let's like fundraise and build one of those farms through fly fishing I'm like dude that's it that's it. <laughs> And so we just thought, okay, this idea is too good not to pursue. And so we started asking all of our friends that we were making on the river, our guides that we know, hey, would you be willing to help us in a fundraiser? And maybe like we could do an auction and and auction off some of the guided trips or whatever. And everybody was on board. And we realized that this is what we needed to do to really engage this community in something incredibly meaningful because we knew what these farms could do for impoverished villages Mm. and for communities. And specifically for us, we have such a passion for rescuing kids from sex trafficking. And so we knew what these farms could do in so many of these impoverished villages where kids are sold as currency. What if we provided those villages with a different means of resources
1: so they don't have to use their children?
0: So all the ideas just started flooding.
1: That's amazing. Yeah. That's that's really incredible. I love how it. I love how that story progressed. I love that your wife was involved. I love that Bob Goff was involved. He's an amazing, he's an amazing individual. I love following his journeys yeah. and everything that he's doing. Yeah. That's really incredible. And we'll continue to talk about fly fishing collaborative as we go on. One thing I want you mentioned your wife in there. Family is incredibly important. How do your dreams and visions work out in your marriage and family? Like, how do you balance everything? I know. The kind of life you live because I, I live a very similar life and I've spent a lot of my uh, married life and even with kids on the road and traveling and doing projects here and there. So talk talk for a minute or two on the importance of family. Do, do, do you balance it well? What are you learning? Um, just talk about that because I think that's incredibly important as people listen and as they work out their ideas, dreams and visions. Great. We, don't, we don't want to change the world at the expense of our families. Right.
0: Yes. That's a really good point. And I, that's something that I have to be careful of. And again, I'm really glad that you asked me about my early childhood because I think all of us still carry a lot of that with us. And a lot of what happened to us growing up shapes kind of who we are now and and our behavior now. So... I say that because I'm very ambitious, mm-hmm. and and sometimes if I'm not careful, my ambition will get the best of me. And so if I'm ambitious because I'm trying to prove that I am capable of doing things as um, a reaction to my own insecurities, then those are bad motivations. And and sometimes if my ambition gets too far ahead, you know, if I get too carried away in my own ambition, I'll leave. My loved ones behind in the dust. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. 100%. And so, yeah, so um, it's really important to um, keep the pers- that perspective. Okay, so why am I doing what am I wh- what I'm doing? Am I doing what I'm doing because I'm trying to make myself feel more capable or? I guess, filled with worth? Or am I doing what I'm doing because I really care for the needs of others? And also, at what cost am I doing it? If I'm doing it at the cost of those that I right. care about most, then it's not worth it. Yeah. And so um, what's been really important for me in this whole process of stepping into this nonprofit and doing a ton of international traveling, which I do, and um, and doing a lot of um, fundraising and, tra- and speaking, and um, I make my family a part of it. And not that I make my family a part of it. I invite my family into a part sure. of it. So my, like, like, you know, my wife had the initial idea of fundraising for tilapia farms. And so really this vision was birthed from the bo- both of us. Um, I took my oldest daughter on our, one of our first farm trips down in Belize where she spent two weeks just with her sleeves rolled up, digging in the trenches with us. Building these aquaponics farms. And my boys are like little ambassadors. So they, they, even my little boys, it's so cute. Uh, they carry the stickers and they wear the hats and the clothes for Fly Fishing Collaborative. And my little five-year-old, he so proudly always says, I do Fly Fishing Collaborative. That's amazing. Yeah. So just really making them um, feel like. Which they are a huge part of what we're doing. My daughter does, so we have, you know, products that we sell for fundraising. Well, my daughter does all the shipping for it. So it's a very, it's definitely, it's a family calling.
1: It really is. Yeah. No, that's, that's hugely important. That's, that's great. Yeah. Tell me. So I'm sure your journey has not been easy. I'm sure it's still not easy. Tell us about some hardships. Tell me about the ups and downs. Because what I want to do is reassure the listeners, uh, reassure the Let's Give a Damn family that if they decide, to be a world changer if they decide to start giving of themselves for others if they decide to start giving a damn it's not going to be always great and sexy and there won't always be like bony of air music playing in the background of the soundtrack of their lives right like that's right. you know we watch these cool videos and those are fine like those you know, you go on to any nonprofit site and they got videos or stories and those are great and they, they should be there. You open a pamphlet about adoption and it feels good and it looks good and the kid's always super cute. That's fine and that's helpful for, you know, stirring people toward action. But give, I don't know if there are any specific stories or just generally give us a sense of, has this been hard? What are the ups and downs of, of leaving a secure or what? What is seemingly a secure job, right. a secure career path mm-hmm. for something like this, where you have to go fundraise, and you, it's nothing. Tomorrow's not for sure and set in stone. Tell me about that.
0: Yeah, that's a great, great question. Um, well, I, you know, it hasn't been easy, and I th- and I always tell people that. The story of Fly Fishing Collaborative, like there's some stories that just demand to be told, and there's some, you know, ideas that are just too good not to pass up. But just because they're great stories and they're amazing ideas uh, doesn't mean that they don't take work mm-hmm. and they don't take sacrifice and they don't take risk, and there's not seasons of discouragement. And so um, just because we have a great vision, doesn't mean that it's automatically going to be a reality. We, I, I believe that the visions that we get, the ideas that we get, they're gifts to us, but we mm. actually have to, we have to make them a reality. Right. Um, and so for me, there was a huge element of risk mm. because you're right, I, I had a steady job in one of the most influential churches in the city of Portland and a very highly regarded position. Um, and, I had to, I had to sacrifice that, and I had to. You know, it was a huge risk for me and my family, but, but I think we were so passionate about the needs and the opportunity that we can have to meet those needs through Fly Fishing Collaborative. It was worth the risk. Um, that's awesome. But yeah, but then there was, you know, there's, I, I'm so I can't think of any specific moments of discouragement. No, that's early, fine. But early on, there was a lot of doubt, a lot of mm-hmm. doubt, a lot of mm-hmm. not just doubt in my own heart, like. Are you are you crazy? Right. You're gonna leave and w- w- what looks like financial security, and you're gonna leave um, a prestigious job, and you're gonna leave all of this so that you can fly fish. And there's a lot of doubt in other people too because they just saw me as fly fishing. They they didn't. A lot of people didn't put. They didn't. They don't see the vision like I do. Sure. So don't. they didn't put you know the whole all the pieces together that I'm fly fishing to make a different like a make major difference in the world, to fundraise, to build sustainable farms for safe homes that are preventing and rescuing children from sex trafficking. I'm not just fly fishing because I like to fly fish. I'm doing what I do and what I do well and what I'm passionate about for the good of others. And I don't think a lot of people get that. Right. So, there, So I faced a lot of discouragement along the way. In fact, some of my biggest supporters now were my biggest doubters then. Mm. I think that's really interesting.
1: Well, that's a cool turn of events, but it's still, yeah, I'm sure you had plenty of naysayers and doubters for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Who, okay, random question. Who goes on these trips? Like, what's the demographic of somebody that will say, yes, I want to go on a trip with you and. You know, I, I, does it cost? I assume this is a little more of an expensive trip, so because a lot of the money is going to these projects, correct? Right.
0: Yeah, it takes about fifteen thousand dollars to build a fully sustainable tilapia farm, and most of our farms are feeding um, in the range of a hundred to two hundred and fifty kids each farm. Oh wow. Yeah, so like the farms that we built, we built a farm in northern Thailand, which was one of our first farms, and that that farm is regularly feeding 163 kids in three safe homes in northern Thailand. Um, the farm that we're building, I'm taking off uh, next. Well, next week I'll be taking off to to Kenya to build a farm for 116 kids, and um, and they also that organization has. Um, of a large scale feeding program in the slums outside of the city of Eldoret in mm-hmm. Kenya that it'll also be contributing to. So, so they're big farms. Um, so it does cost a little bit of cash. And so how we do it is, um, I've, you know, have all sorts of fundraising methods through the fly fishing community. You know, we have, and this is, this is what I love about it because it's these people in the fly fishing community that I loved and I wanted to not just, um, do good for but be a part of something great with all of them and so they all collaborate with us that's why we're fly fishing collaborative so we have networks of guides that donate their professionally guided trips to our organization mm-hmm. and then we'll auction those guided trips off as a fundraiser for our farms and we develop some products and so we sell these products as a way to fundraise for our farms but fly tires for From around the world, that tie, you know, they tie hand tied flies with feathers and hooks to catch fish with. They send flies from all over the world to Fly Fishing Collaborative to sell those flies as a fundraiser for these farms. And so we're involving the community in what we're doing. And then for our teams, um, they fundraise themselves. So, you know, depending on where we're going in the world, Um, We need, we need a team of like eight to 10 people that are willing to get their hands dirty and go to the safe homes with us and establish these farms. And so, you know, I do through Fly Fishing Collaborative, all the fundraising for the farms and the material costs and the setup. But we have volunteers that fundraise themselves for their own trip expenses. And that's how it works. Incredible. Yeah.
1: How many, how many farms have you guys built?
0: I had no idea when this vision started (laughs) that we would be where we're at. I thought we were gonna do one farm. I had no intentions of starting a 501c3, Mm. but it captured our hearts. And we realized, when we realized that we could make such a great change, but we don't have to compromise who we are to make those changes. I can actually be the nutty, river-loving, outdoorsman, fly fisherman that I am, but do something that I love for the good of others and make a significant change in the world. And when I realized that could happen, we just kept going. And since we started three years ago, we have built five farms in five different countries that are feeding the mouths of over 1,500 kids in
1: safe homes and orphanages. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. And yeah. you're going to keep going, right? And this we're going to keep going. That's awesome. Okay, let's. Uh, thanks for sharing that. Let's get practical for a minute. There may be people listening to this podcast that just want to hear great stories, and that's fine. Like I, I know there'll be some of those, and that's really great. I love a good story that will inspire me. But I suspect the majority, however, want to do something that changes the world, something that helps their fellow man, fellow woman. Yeah. Can you, from your experience, in your perspective, can you give some practical steps to the Let's Give a Damn family on how they can start so say it's it's somebody that's you know in a nine to five up until now they haven't really thought much about other people in term what's going the 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 things that are going wrong around the world the things that sure. they can help you know there's nine to five they come home they binge watch you know house of cards they you know whatever and then do the do it the next day and then hang out with friends in the weekends yeah what practical steps could you give to them on how to get out of it on how they can get to the moment where they, where they have their give a damn moment. Um, share a few things from your experience. Sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, well for us, the first step was just finding that vision, um, or that dream or that idea, whatever you want to call it. And so, um, um, you know, for us, it was the vision of making a change, in the lives of impoverished and trafficked kids through the fly fishing community. That was our vision. The details came later, right? Like how we're going to fundraise, how we're going to, you know, collaborate with the community and the 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 details are still being formed. Um, but it started with the idea and that idea for me was I can be who I am, do what I love to do, but do it for the good of others and the others that I want to do it for are you know the traffic kids around the world so starts yeah. with so find your vision once you find your vision you have to chase it you've got to make that vision a reality start taking steps forward you're not going to have it all mapped out and you're going to have changes of direction and people along the way but you got to move and That's perfect. Yeah, keep absolutely. Going, keep going. Well, do you have I anything mean, else? Yeah, just, I mean, this is, this is all just stemming from our story. And sure. then don't expect everybody else to carry the same passion as you do. That's good. Um, and because that can save you from a lot of discouragement. The get, because, for, I mean, this, I believe that this vision was a gift given to me, and I carry a strong passion for it. But when I expect other people to have that same amount of passion for it, then I get discouraged. Hmm. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean that your vision is not worth it, because right. people
1: don't carry the same passion. Still, chase it. That's super helpful. That's great. Those were those are some really good some good points there. Let's begin to wrap up here, Bucky. This has been huge. I think this interview is going to be incredibly helpful for the listeners. When you die, which hopefully won't be for many, 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 many years, because uh-huh. because I want to see. Fly Fishing Collaborative grow and explode. When you die, I'm going to give your eulogy. This is hypothetical, obviously. What do you want me to say? I'm going to be standing in a room in front of your family, in front of your friends, in front of Fly Fishing Collaborative supporters. In three or four sentences, what do you want your legacy to be? What do you want your eulogy to communicate?
0: Yeah, uh, that's a great question. and. You know, For me, personally, because, because of my faith orientation um, and because of how much of my life that I model from the teachings of Jesus, I would probably want my eulogy just to say one thing, and that's he did life well and that he was a man that exemplified how to love God and love others. Mm. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest thing that we can do? He summed it all up in those two things, love God and love others. And if I can be known for that, then I think I've done
1: well. I agree. That would be a great eulogy. Um, As we close up, is there anything else you would like to share with the Let's Give a Damn family that I have failed to ask you?
0: Uh, Gosh, Um, I think the only thing that I would encourage the Let's Give a Damn family is um, don't let society dictate how you live your life. Be free to dream. Look outside the box and be careful of any self-imposed limitations that you put on yourself. I think we're capable of much more than we can give ourselves
1: credit for. That's awesome. Fantastic advice. Where can the listeners find you online and how can they learn more about what you are doing?
0: Um, Yeah, you can follow uh, Fly Fishing Collaborative um, on Facebook, Instagram. Um, We've got a great website that tells all sorts of beautiful stories about the projects that we've done. Um, So I would say that's the best way. What's Um, that URL? uh, Flyfishingcollaborative.org. Sign up for our newsletter through our website um, to kind of keep track with all of the great stories that is happening through the fly fishing community and the
1: impact. And if if anyone that's listening, if they want to get involved in this, they can find that information on your website.
0: They can find that information on their website. They can shoot me an email personally. It's on the website. They can follow my Instagram account as well. um, Bucky Buckstabber and um, would love to get anybody and everybody involved as much as they would like.
1: That's awesome. Well, we'll, I'll put links in the show notes. And Bucky, thanks for joining me today. This has been a true honor and I'm incredibly excited to watch you change the world through fly fishing and empower others to give a damn. Ah, thank you, Nick. This has been so much fun. Bye for now. Okay. Thanks so much for joining Bucky and I for our conversation today. Be sure to go and follow Bucky and Fly Fishing Collaborative everywhere on social media. If you enjoyed our chat, go and let them know. Also, please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review if you will. And ask your friends to listen and subscribe to The More The Merrier. You can follow Let's Give a Damn on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to find out more about the show and other things we plan to implement very soon. And head on over to our Facebook page and click on the sign up button to receive weekly emails containing amazing stories like the one you heard here today. Also, if you want, follow me at Nick on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Snapchat. I'd love to see you there. Well, that's all for today, friends. Can't wait to spend more time with you very soon. And I urge you, even today, to begin giving a damn about the things around you that are wrong, that you have the ability to help make right. Until next time.